Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? a show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and you're listening to Who the Fuck. And on today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Fanny La Boulangere. And Fanny is a French family doctor turned into a self-love and pleasure coach with a mission to help others understand how pleasure can be the ultimate healing tool to help you digest your conditionings and traumas so that you can find the joy you seek in life and really uncover who you truly are, which is what this show is all about. So welcome to the show, Fanny. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, So I thought we could start by you sharing a little bit of your background and how you ended up going from being a doctor to a self-love and pleasure coach, because I feel like you really need to understand that to dive into the rest of the conversation. (laughs) So hi, everyone. I am a French family doctor. My story is quite simple, like everyone else is. I was everyone else's story. Sorry. I was the good girl following what I was told to do and just not questioning going forward. So I went to med school. Everything was great. Then I got hit by a diagnosis of epilepsy at age 26. So I had to start questioning things because literally my body said to my mind, screw you, I'm switching you off. (laughs) So I had to start there. So I met yoga, became a yoga teacher, fell in love with meditation and did a ton of self-work, self-inquiry, self-development. And at the same time, I do want to point out that I spent, I guess, thousands, not thousands, but hundreds of euros in self-development. And at the same time, I just felt meh. And so what happened at that moment, there was a conjunction of two things In my personal life, I started to feel it was not something healthy that I could only get my orgasms from my partner. And I was lucky to have orgasms, by the way. But hmm, am I not supposed to give myself, to give orgasms to myself by myself? And at the same time, what happened is I practice gynecology on a daily basis, even if I am, if I'm a doctor, and I had so many patients having issues like vulvodynia, pain during sex, or things that I could not understand because all of the results were normal, and or people I had to send see a sexologist. And in my mind, I was like, half of the my patient, more than half of my patient have to go see a sexologist. There has something, there is something wrong here. So we need to figure things out. So I did some digging either for them and for myself. 
And that's why I met this self-love and pleasure coach that I became today. That's amazing. And so I have a couple of follow-up questions to that because I think that part of what I'm really excited about in this conversation is sex was a topic that was really hard for me to discuss for a while. I would say I've always felt like a generally sexually charged person, but I was very uncomfortable talking about sex with people, especially growing up in the United States. There's a lot of shame around it, especially compared to European countries, which is like much more of sort of an open dialogue in places that I've been in. It depends where you are, who you're talking to. Same thing in the US, especially from like a media standpoint. And I'm curious how you went from this feeling of I'm dealing with these medical issues. I'm overwhelmed. My body is telling me that I'm overwhelmed and that I need to change something about my lifestyle. What was your inclination that led you to think about the concept of pleasure or self-pleasure as a way to help alleviate some of that stress that you were feeling? Two things. First, noticing that all that I was doing was not enough or wasn't, I wouldn't say wasn't enough, but wasn't worth the time, energy, and money I and I spend in that. How and also some basic stuff like I had an one hour and a half morning and evening ritual. Yes, good. I am by myself and I've I'm, I'm I don't have kids or whatever, but I had stuff that start started coming up and I had to look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. That came up with the sense of, huh, my orgasm, why only from him? What's going on in here? Yeah. That's the combination of both, in my yeah. opinion. And so when you were also saying then from the perspective as a doctor and the challenges that your patients were facing and feeling the need to consistently kind of refer them to a sexologist, as you said, what, I guess because I don't know much about sexology as a science. So can you explain a little bit about like what would lead you to uh, refer somebody to a sexologist that would be, like you said, nothing's necessarily coming up in a test or like things are coming back fine. So what is it that allows you kind of that mindset of, okay, this might be the next step for you to take? Actually, the definition, at least where I live of a sexologist is a doctor you can see like an eye doctor, an ear doctor. Mm-hmm. It's a, it is a sexuality doctor. And many people have medical issues that require medical care. But there is also a lot of things going on that are not really requiring medical attention. So you can go to see a sex therapist, for example, many people, when there is a desire challenge in a, within a couple or something, they go to see sex therapists with success sometimes and without other mm-hmm. times. The definition is really what requires medical care, so like physiological issues and what can be addressed and what comes more from psyche mindset thing. And the only issue I have with this division of things is how they take things separately. And what I love in being a self, self-love self and pleasure coach is how we work with both. That's the difference. And that's mm. what why, in my opinion, it works. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, that you uh, that you're 
position is self-love and pleasure, right? Because one of the things that I've become so much more engaged in as a concept is the idea of how important it is that we play for our psychological well-being. Play in any sense of the word, right? Like you can go, you know, um, just do something silly outside. Doesn't matter. Like you can fly a kite, do whatever it is, right? But there's this feeling that we can decompress the way that we can play as like this selection of activities that we can we can partake in and i think that there is probably a bit of a stigma around the idea of self pleasure being one of those things to help release the stress to help honestly like it helps people with creativity so can you share a little bit about like what the sort of the path i guess that you would take somebody down as a self love and pleasure coach looks like so if you were bringing in a new client, where would you start with them? First and foremost, put the emphasis on safety and meet them where they are. You cannot proceed anywhere if the container you are holding isn't safe. Then assess where you are and where you want to go. Because there is no definition of what a great sex life is like. It's just something that looks like what you want. So mm-hmm. we assess that where you are where you want to go. Then what we do is first reconnect to self-consent. This is like the basic of everything. And self-consent is basically allowing the answers to emerge from inside, like the yes or no, and not proceed forward until you got a yes or a no. Do you see that? Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> oh, sorry. I just, I'm, I have inline My questions. <laughs> Do you have, I guess, when you think about that idea of self consent, is that to say, you know, acknowledging what feels, as you said at the beginning, safe, comfortable, pleasurable to you is sort of like it's a yes or no around that? Is that how I'm interpreting that? Yeah, but I think it's even more than that. It's really this feeling of yes and, and, or no, and maybe as well maybe is really important mm-hmm. that you hear from inside before any kind of penetration. Ask yourself and the first times out loud. Yes, it feels silly. Yes, it feels crazy, but it works. <laughs> Hi, if you talk to your pussy, for example. Hi, do you want that today? <laughs> if you use an egg or a dildo or even your hand, are you okay to receive that today? And most importantly, you don't proceed forward until you hear a clear yes. And at the beginning, it's pretty frustrated because when you haven't asked your body ever, it will not get out and sing an opera opera aria right away. If you're lucky, you will get a whisper. (laughs) So (laughs) the commitment really is to, I am staying here with you. I'm not moving forward. I'm not forcing you. Until I hear a clear yes, self-consent is so needed. So it sounds like it's also an important way to make sure that you're present in the moment too. Mm -hmm. uh, And that that's a way of respecting your own boundaries as well. Oh, yes. And actually reconnecting to what is yours as well. That's where you might notice that you like this kind of touch or you need more time before penetration or Mm -hmm. this type of touch in this space doesn't feel good. This is, to me, the base of any kind of sexual exploration. 
I guess if somebody's seen you as a sex love and pleasure coach, they obviously are kind of already on that journey. They've made a decision to go down this path. But I imagine there are a lot of people and my hope is that people listen to this episode with a really open mind. I'm approaching it with a super open mind. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to decouple my lifelong shame uh, <laughs> from the topic that I really want to know more about. <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm club. <laughs> I feel like a lot of us are nervous to explore beyond what feels obvious to us. You know, even just thinking about my own sexuality, like I came out around the time I was 19. So I had had sex with men and I could derive pleasure because I knew what I could do to elicit the response that I wanted from myself. But I also feel like on an intimate emotional level, I I always sort of knew that that was not what was right for me. So after I came out, I feel like there was this whole new level of understanding I had to have about myself, exploration that I was willing to do. And I don't really think about it a lot because it was just this, this moment in my life where these changes were happening in the, my lifestyle. And so I think some of that feels like it happened really organically. And I didn't really think much about actively, very consciously, what am I doing differently? Or how should I do this to make sure that this is good? Or this is what I like in these scenarios. But when you step back from your life and you look at your sexual experiences, it's like, am I getting what I want? Am I enjoying what I'm doing or what's being done to me with consent? And how do you, what do you think is a good way for somebody who's apprehensive of that self-exploration to give themselves some space to run free and really embrace like what they don't know yet? Many things, but first, being honest with yourself. So many of us are stuck into a kind of autopilot sex life where you just do the same things to produce the same results, even if that doesn't feel pleasurable um, at, at some point. One, so I think, even if it does, right? Like it, you part of what people I feel like worry about a lot is if you don't the phrase we would use is like, mix it up, then it can feel, I don't want to say mundane because that's probably not the right word for all of the situations, but the repetition sort of takes away from the intimacy and the emotional connection. Because like you said, it's autopilot. It's like, you just know what to do. You get into the position, you do the thing, and then you move on and everybody's achieved their results, but it's, you know, did you get what you like really needed or did you get part of what you needed? There is this, there is also being conscious of in the moment. Some say that sex is the most active and pleasurable type of meditation. This because if you stay connected to yourself, you will start to notice what feels good, what doesn't. So there is this conscious and being present as well. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So when people are coming to see you are they typically i guess what what is what is sort of like the the archetype of somebody who's coming to a self love and and pleasure coach like yourself i have people that are wondering where it went wrong how life can be just this 
how my sex life, is it really supposed to be just this? Like, where did it mess up and I didn't see it? Mm -hmm. Do you think that people are a lot of times blaming themselves for it? Oh, yeah, I don't think so. I'm sure of it. There is this whole part, and that's the beauty as well of um, having a regular sex practice and self-love practice and solo play is how it helps you. It helps you digest your conditioning and it helps you digest your shame, your guilt, your traumas and everything. And it's like everything else. The more you talk about sex, the more you're comfortable with it. (laughs) Definitely. So can you tell me a little bit about like what psychologically speaking, I guess, um, is the benefit of like self-pleasure and solo play as you referred to it? Definitely first the big bath of hormones that can help you. <laughs> Even if it's not psychological, it's always a good thing to, to, to take. Mm-hmm. Um, on a psychological level, I see several things. First, it helps to build safety in your nervous system. Because we are the only species with a pleasure organ, that's the clitoris that has thousands of nerves and is only dedicated to pleasure, our nature is pleasure. And so many of us from societal conditioning, patriarchal bullshit and everything are told that this is not normal, are told to forget that. And when we reconnect to that, you really come home to yourself because that's what you're supposed to experience, pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so when you meet that, when you honor that, then you have more resource inside to face whatever is coming your way. So in a way, it's like you're not holding on to that shame. You're honoring your body. And in doing that, you're freeing up your mental, emotional, physical energy for other things in your life. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting, Fanny. I I feel like if you told me like five years ago, I'd be having this conversation, I probably would have been like, "Mm, I don't know if I'd be comfortable (laughs) with that. But I'm feeling, first of all, you approach it in a way that is just so palatable. It's really accessible um, and so knowledgeable. So I appreciate your expertise and your openness about this so much. Um, In terms of how pleasure can help us process that conditioning and that shame. Can you go a little bit more into that? Because I imagine I have a limited amount of knowledge about it and I understand the nervous system regulation and things like that. But is there, um, are you able to go a little bit deeper on that for anybody who might not have enough context for why that influences the other areas of our life the way that it does? What I love about this is how there is this concept of completing the stress cycles. Basically put Every type of traumas or uncomfortable situation is stored in our body and we need and it's just waiting to be released. And to do that, you need to feel safe. The, um, there is one book that is amazing. It's called Burnout by Emily Nagovsky and Amelia Nagovsky. I talk about this book all the time. And inside there is a great metaphor about you running away from a lion. So if you're facing a lion, you there many types of um, of consequences. Maybe you run to the village, everyone kills the lion and you're having a feast together and everything goes well. 
or maybe you freeze and you pretend to be dead. And so that's the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn response from the nervous mm -hmm. system. And there is also another possibility is like, imagine you're the lion just gets a rock from the sky. The lion is dead, but you're still feeling tensed, like your legs still want to run. Your breath is still short. Your heart is still pounding. So your body is still in this stress reaction, even if the threat is gone. So there's all of that that is stored into our bodies. And what we need to release that are, are a lot of things, but especially two. First, safety. That's the part when you go back to the village and make the feast with everyone and the clothing mm. from the skin and everything. And also um, safety and movement. Definitely some movement just to allow your body basically to run on the spot so that this feeling of wanting to run, it gets released. That goes with this sexual exploration and this solo play, because when you do the solo play and the self-pleasure, you create the safety in your nervous system, this feeling of safety that helps you release what all of this that has been stored. All of the things you wanted to yell at that crappy boss who just looks down on you and have comments to do, well, to all this patriarchal bullshit that we are facing every day. All of this is stored in our bodies in terms of muscle tensions, sometimes even, even diseases. And when you use the pleasure, you help release all of that. And at the same time, you expand what you expand the zone of what is not going to throw you off. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. Let me say that again. You've explained your, your zone of tolerance. Something, it's really easy to imagine um, when you are, you know, exhausted because you had so many nights without sleep and you haven't eaten well for whatever reason, any type of not nice situation and conversation will just throw you off. Whereas when you have slept enough, when you have, when you have a really nice meal or anything, any kind of different and difficult uh, conversation is not or is, there is less chance it's going to throw you off. Mm -hmm. That's the same. You build the safety in the nervous system. You build your zone of tolerance. You come home to yourself. So that's one of the things, how it helped you. <laughs> yeah, it's... It makes me really think about how we... I feel like we're in this moment in time where across the board from a holistic health perspective people are starting to have more of these conversations and how important it is for us to not just address the symptom but 
really get to the core of why, you know, we're experiencing the things that we're experiencing. And it makes me think about how, um, you know, I'm somebody who like, I have not struggled to have orgasms in my life. I feel weird that I'm saying this on the show. I think I have no idea who's listening to this. My dad might be listening. Um, But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, being comfortable with the fact that like, I know that I can self-pleasure and I can achieve whatever that desired result is. I can have sex and with somebody else and have that happen. Like I'm not one of the, the women, many, many women who struggle to orgasm. I've been lucky in that regard, but it, it makes me think about the fact that there are moments where I'm like, I'm stressed out and that's the thing that I'm inclined to do, but not because I have an explicit sexual desire. It's literally like, I feel the tension building up in my body. I'm like, I gotta get, gotta get this out of my system. It's, it's extremely non-sexual in fact, in a way, like the psychological aspect of it is the same way you would feel like you think about when um, dogs are stressed, they shake, right? It's like, that's what it is. It's like, I need to shake it out. (laughs) That's the definition of the release of the stress cycle. Definitely. That's what it is. And when you are doing any type of sexual practice, you're moving energy, definitely. Mm -hmm. And usually you're moving energy up. And when there is stuckness and everything, of course you want to release it. You can dance, you can swim, you can do some physical activity, or you can orgasm as well. Yeah. Because it, and it helps you feel good and give you the hormone bath as well, which is always a good thing. Right, right. (laughs) Well, do you think that there's, sorry, I'm like struggling because I just have so many questions. So my brain's like spinning (laughs) right now. I'm like, well, which one do I ask next? Um, When you're, when you're thinking about these types of um, essentially like healing modalities, like ways to regulate the nervous system and things like that through this type of practice, do you try to uncover kind of what or or ask people, I should say, because I think it's less probing, um, what it is that they're comfortable with or what they like kind of what's their starting point? And then, as you said, kind of like, where do they want to go? How do you navigate that conversation and ultimately? encourage them to be more exploratory when there is sort of this barrier to to getting there based on the way that they live their life or even a comfort level with self-pleasure that they might not have. I would love to offer a reframe of what you just said at the beginning um, just a few minutes ago about the why we experience something. And what's really important that I share with my coaching and in my work is that most of the time, the why doesn't isn't really important. What's important is to release it through the stress cycle to complete that. And you know, when sometimes you get a big cry after having sex or anything, this is emotional release. And you can try to understand where it comes from. And maybe that's not that's not neither useful nor needed. So maybe something happened when I was four. I don't remember. But the most important thing is that now the energy is released. So what's really helpful and at the same time challenging because we are such a, an amazingly heady society. We want to understand. We want to. We yeah, need to we, know. <laughs> we need to know. We need. So there's all of that. Helping people understand that they don't need to understand 
because they don't need to figure it out. They need to trust their bodies. There we come back to the safety. Remember, we need them to help them come home, build the safety so that they can proceed and then explore by themselves. You know, it it makes me think about the fact that, so when I've been in sexual relationships before where um, I was not comfortable, like not with the dynamic of the encounter, but like, I just think about my ex and my last relationship and the fact that like, I was so in my head all the time because frankly, in retrospect, and as we're having this conversation, it's coming to the surface to even recognize this is like, well, I didn't feel safe in that relationship. So I was definitely in my head constantly because I couldn't be present in my body. Thank you for this epiphany. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think there's also, I think it's also easy to be in our heads, like you said, you know, like we're stressed about other things. And so having a harder time being present potentially in our sex lives is that do you have any thoughts on what people might be able to do to help them get a little bit out of their head and more into their bodies in those moments thank you for asking these questions and i do want to point out that it's normal and if you're there in a totally heady space totally disconnected from our body, from your body. We see you. Most of us have been here. (laughs) Our society is heady and values headiness and everything. That being said, um, what I like is really simple hacks to reconnect to your body without um, without any sexual idea or sexual willingness at first. It can be so simple. Just... For example, allowing your hands to and put your put them. Sorry, let me say that again. Put your hands somewhere into your body and just breathe. Bring your mind's eye. The exercise I love to give my coaches first. If you want to do 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 it with us, is just take your hand and put your fingers on it. Spend a few breaths there, like two to three breaths. You can close your eyes if you want. And then imagine that you bring your mind's eye to your fingers, like to the top of your fingers. Look at the skin under. You can play with the pressure. Feel the warmth, maybe, of your hand under your mind's eye and your fingers. Maybe start to bring some gentle movements. Notice how you can actually Bring your consciousness there. And then switch and bring your consciousness to your skin under your fingers and look at your fingers from the other side. Feel the warmth, the temperature. So you get to play to reawaken these sensations to reconnect to your whole body. And when you reconnect to that, You have this whole playground of sensations because you have so many parts of your body. You have so many types of play that you can have. And if you add that to to reconnecting to your five senses, so take the time to appreciate good food or look at a beautiful picture and most of all connect to your senses in a sensual way. Play some nice music some nice um, nice essential oil or perfume or anything 
choose the texture, the texture of a piece of clothing you like. This is, in my opinion, the fastest and the easiest way to start because there is no way that you can reconnect to your sexuality if you are not connected to your sensuality. Five senses and six sense is less intuition and energy and everything. Mm-hmm. I really love that as an example too, because the way that you expressed connecting to those senses, particularly around the material of like clothing that you're wearing or something, those are tactile sensations that we could all agree have some pleasurable aspect to them. Um, music, same thing, right? We all have different preferences, but we think collectively as a the human species understand that music can influence that sensation that you have. It's something that I feel like we don't take advantage of enough, if I'm being completely honest. I, I feel like we take it for granted. We know that it's there and we know that we can access it if we want it, but we're not necessarily proactively accessing it as a way to connect with ourselves, which is what you're suggesting. Yeah. And I would even go further and say that our society and patriarchy and blah, 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 bullshit actually valued, values not doing that. Because to do that, you need time. You mm-hmm. need to stay conscious. And don't get me wrong, you can do that in 30 seconds when you are in your shower, because the only time you can get for yourself in a day is 30 seconds because you have a whole family or whatever. It just requires some time to be conscious of it. And our society is designed to help us not be conscious. We numb ourselves on social medias and Netflix and everything. And It can be really nice sometimes, but also just allowing ourselves the time to stay present and honoring what's there because sometimes staying present sucks, especially when you haven't been present for a long time. So all of the shit you haven't looked at is coming up back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I like the way that you referred to it as numbing ourselves. Obviously that's sort of like a common phrase that we use where we're, you know, um, like scrolling aggressively just to quell the anxiety because we are in our heads so much that the numbness feels like it's tempering that. But there is, in my experience, a fine line because my partner and I will talk about this. We notice when we're both really occupied with work or other things that we have going on that the best way to come back to being present with each other is to play a game. Um, So it's something that forces us to be interactive and not just sitting there watching something because we can doom scroll and watch TV at the same time and be sitting next to each other. And sometimes it's really nice to just be in each other's presence, even if we're kind of both in our own heads or not really paying attention to things. We're spending time near each other, but we're not spending time engaged with each other. And we've been able to tell and recognize and speak about the fact that there is a big difference between sharing space and sharing intimacy. And I think a lot of people in relationships, especially when you're in them for a long time, you can get really comfortable with sharing space and mistaking that for connection when in reality, you need the mental stimulation, you need the emotional connection, you need the physical stimulation and the physical connection. And so I think it's so important for people to acknowledge what the difference in those things are because you can feel really unfulfilled if you're just sharing space and nothing more than that. Yeah. 
And add to that this sharing space with yourself without connect being without feeling connected to yourself. Yeah. That feels really unfulfilling. Yeah, you're totally right. As you said, it's by design, right? The way society is intends for us to be distracted from the things that are really important, whether that is at a broader global societal level, a humanitarian level, or an individual level. And what you're tapping into is this need that we have to find those things despite all of the distraction, despite all of the ideas that are being perpetuated that honestly don't materially impact our lives at all when we do have some control over the way that we show up we might not be able to control all the circumstances but it's recognizing within yourself what do i need right now and am i getting that if i'm not getting it how can i get that is it safe for me to get that uh, i really love that you a couple times have come back to that concept of safety i think it's super important being in a culture where, especially in this digital age, where we are constantly exposed on digital media to each other, people have become a lot more comfortable in sharing their sexuality, which is great. Um, we're speaking more respectfully about people who are in sex working occupations and acknowledging the importance of treating them well. And at the same time, there's also, I think, hypersexualization that ends up happening that in its own way can be numbing because it's it removes the connection from it and it sort of desensitizes us to things that really bring out the pleasure and help us connect through intimacy do you have thoughts on how the exposure to the various um types of sexuality and topics of sexuality come up and affect us in that way and the way that we are able to show up for ourselves and in our relationships sexually? I would even go further that it desensitizes us. It is bringing us a shit ton of guilt of wishing we would be something different. It reinforces this narrative that whatever you're going to do, you're never going to be enough. What I usually say is like, if you're thin, get some muscle. If you're curvy, curvy, lose some weight and do buttocks on your face um, so that you look, you look younger and everything. So there is this whole narrative that is, in my opinion, way more than desensitization. Mm -hmm. I think of it as that aspect of control, sort of external forces trying to control the outcomes of individuality. And I really love that people have, in a lot of ways, reclaimed power of their bodies, their sexualities, their identities overall, because growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, body image is something that was, I mean, I'm 37 and I still have issues with it. I think about how ingrained the idea of what you have to look like is. And I admire the openness of younger generations to embrace their sexuality, embrace their bodies, really focus on those things from a place of 
body positivity that brings them more of that security, more of that safety. And then when you have that, you can also show up in relationships with people with that sense of confidence. You bring that sense of safety, you bring that sense of comfort that somebody can have with you because you're comfortable with it. And I, I see how transformative that's been on a cultural level as well. Part of me is envious, honestly, you know, like what must it be like to grow up with that sense of, oh, I can talk about this. Oh, I can express myself this way. No, I'm not sitting here being like, I wish I had an OnlyFans account. Like I'm not going down that path for me personally, but I think that the fact that people can have autonomy over these decisions and are willing to explore those things so that they have a sense of who they are, maybe they stick with it. Maybe they decide that they want something else, but the options are there and the openness and the discussion is being had in ways that like we just didn't have when I was growing up. And the internet is a massive reason for that. There's so much more information that's being processed. There's so much more opportunity to learn and ask questions. And as you said, like, feel related to, feel seen, like know that you're not the only one. So do you feel like we're collectively on this healing journey as well, like to really move forward in a way that gives us that freedom of sexual expression? Of course we are. There is a lot of things to do. There are still a lot of things to do, but I always like to acknowledge the work we have done. I have been lucky enough to go uh, travel far away, so in Indonesia, and we had a guide, and this guy told us, I can't wait to get a wife so that she can cook and do everything at the house so that I don't have to do anything by myself. I am a feminist. I am an activist of feminine empowerment. I also want to point out that we have done a lot of progress from this space. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot recently, in fact, is that just the the empowerment of women to, to demand the space that we deserve and to not be overshadowed. I mean, so I'm living in Canada now, but I'm from the States and watching like Roe v. Wade be overturned where now like abortion is being banned in these places. It's sickening. And it's like, that is, to me, the tip of the iceberg. When you start to control those things, how much more control are people going to attempt to have? Because as you said, we're already being shamed for for wanting to have, you know, our own pleasure and to be able to command pleasure for ourselves in situations with other people. And in fact, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. We were on the beach and I was saying, you know, like guys just don't have to wear shirts, you know? And now granted, I feel like I don't know that I would go topless because I'm used to not going topless, but we've decided, I think she made the point, like, when did we decide that like women can't show their breasts, but men can show that theirs. And we've cultivated this shame around that globally. Um, and this is part of why I said the thing I did about Europe earlier being a little bit more liberal in that regard. It's like, there's a lot more nude beaches in Europe. <laughs> so I like, I think there is some, a little bit more liberation in that regard, but what we have to do, as you pointed out, because of this 
broader patriarchal society that we live in is identify these things that we have become really comfortable with. Like women must always wear tops. I'm not saying like everybody free the tatas right now. Do what feels right to you and I guess what's legal so you don't get arrested. But like why should exposing your breasts when men never have to wear shirts be seen as so profane by comparison? And I guess I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. That wasn't really going in a general direction with a question. (laughs) (laughs) No bra movement. How many people are having an opinion on if you should wear a bra or not? Why are you not wearing one? I know that's a question I got from my mother. (laughs) I used to get from my mother, but I'm like, my breasts are small. I don't need them. If I didn't need one, I wouldn't wear it. (laughs) But it's like, it's uncomfortable for me not to, right? And so part Mm. of it is like, there's the functional aspect of it. And then there's the societal expectation of it. Yeah. How come we're so shocked by female breasts being visible under a top more than men's? If you feel comfortable without wearing a bra, don't don't wear it. Right? Yeah. We're also taught at a young age how sexualized our bodies as women can be. I mean, I just finished watching the uh, second part of the series Surviving R. Kelly, which was bleak, um, really hard to watch. All these women who survived his various sexual assaults over decades. And it's like, they're speaking out about something that is really hard to talk about as a female in society in general, which is sex. But now you're also putting the onus on somebody who has abused that. And you're getting shamed for exposing that too. And so it's like, we're damned if we do, damned if we don't as women. Heaven forbid you speak up on behalf of women. Heaven forbid you demand that like your pleasure or your safety comes first. For as much as we ridicule women for wanting these things or or needing these things as human beings, on the flip side of that, we're like men can do whatever they want. Like, what is the incidence of rape in this world? Like, people act like women have to control themselves when we're literally just like, I would self-pleasure. Men cannot control themselves, will not control themselves. And they're hurting other people. And I'm not, this is, to be clear to listeners, this is not a, an all-encompassing statement. It's It's a generalization, but it's like, we accept rape, we don't punish it. And it just is what it is. And people who have suffered that have to deal with it and learn to survive with it. Meanwhile, we're shaming women for just what wanting to exist with confidence in their sexuality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have so much more to, <laughs> to uncover and to change about that. And in my opinion, the beauty is you said we're doomed if we do and we're doomed if we don't. And in my opinion, the secret is to do it anyway, maybe quietly at first, because when you're working with yourself and processing all that trauma and all that shit, the last thing you want to to have and to do is to have people give them give you their unsolicited opinions. Yeah. And when you do that, when you build the safety, when you build the connection to pleasure, about the pleasure thing, you can share it with people. You can be comfortable with what we are doing. Mm -hmm. I always love when I start a conversation and say I'm a sex coach, 
and people are like, how come you can talk about it so easily? And I'm like, who is the most embarrassed at the moment? You or me? (laughs) Well, it's funny. We were playing a game uh, the other night with a a couple of our friends and just asking kind of questions to get to know each other that speaks to either sexual situations or typically more private things that we wouldn't necessarily discuss. And I found such a, I found it to be so interesting, Fanny, because so I'm sitting here with my wife who I've only known for two years. And then three of my closest friends since I moved to Canada, and I know they don't know a lot about my sex life. And they also only know me as being with women. So they they have zero context for my sexual history with men. And it was so interesting how free I felt to speak openly about it and realizing that I have this immense amount of comfort with these people because we're all showing up fully. There's a sense of trust. There's a sense of shared understanding that there is not judgment. We're just speaking very matter-of-factly about our lives with a group of people that we trust. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that and that connection to each other, particularly with other women too, because when I first came out, I hated talking about sex because I constantly was questioned, well, how do lesbians have sex? And I'm like, does anybody ask you how you like it? Like, is that a conversation that we need to be having right now? And I think because it has become more mainstream as a discussion and not just in this like hypersexualized pornographic lesbian sex type of conversation, but it's more um, visible in society is that you don't get that question the same way you used to, but it's like, that was one of the things that stopped me from talking about it for so long. Is that something that in your experience you've kind of witnessed as well with with either people you work with or just in your life overall? Definitely, yes. I was lucky enough to work in a medical office when I was a, re- I was a resident. Um, so an office that was following patients um, with tris- trans-, trans identity. Mm-hmm. And... What really hit me at that moment is how people were considering, since those people were not what is considered quote-unquote normal, then they can be an object of your curiosity. You wouldn't go to see, to ask anybody what you have in your panties. That's right. not something you ask. And how come, because you're a transgender person or a gender non-conforming person or anything, you, this is a question of curiosity and unhealthy curiosity that goes there. Definitely. I love that you addressed it that way too. So my, my first thought is, and it might be a rhetorical question is how do we how do we ask the questions without feeling intrusive you know like because i think it's fair to be curious now first of all i think because the internet the internet exists in the way that it does there's plenty of ways you can self educate i also think it is helpful to hear from people if you have people in your life that you might have questions of but it is important to ask those questions in a way that is not a judgmental, but be sort of that you're required to give them an, an answer to that. They're it's sort of like the idea when 
as a white person asking a black person about their experience, right? Like we've learned over the last several years, especially the right way to approach those conversations. So the onus isn't on that person to like make sure I understand it has to come from our curiosity and we can educate as much as we can. But if we want qualitative feedback from people that we know who we understand can help us have a better grasp on it, then certainly solicit that feedback from people, ask people so you can understand. And um, we were watching one of my guilty pleasure shows is 90 day fiance. And so I am not proud of this, but it's real. And I don't know if you guys have it there. It's terrible reality TV, but there is this one couple on the show where um, the guy is trans and he explains so much about his experience out of sheer desire to educate people and like the surgeries that he had and like the way that it works to like be able to connect these nerve endings and do these things. So he still has like a really typical sex life and his wife did not know that he was trans. Like it's, and I think having that type of visibility, that exposure to people who are willing and wanting to share their experience, even though you can tell that it makes him uncomfortable because you don't want to have to explain it. But what he understands is that sharing that information is going to help other people empathize. And if you can empathize, then you can start to feel more connected and less differentiated. And now that fear um, that sometimes creates curiosity can be more of a compassion that facilitates curiosity. Yeah, you asked a question at the beginning about how we could approach this conversation. When we talk about curiosity, the most important thing, in my opinion, is to bring this curiosity from a place of service that's usually way more efficient than, hey, can you educate me, please? So after, of course, being sure this is a good time to talk and the person is willing to engage to, to engage with that type of conversation, then ask something like, hey, I want to be a better ally for the queer community or the transgender community or any community you want to be a better ally to. Do you have any resource or something that you could recommend for me to do that? And if you want to offer the person a chance to say no, like if this is not a good time for you, I understand that too. And when you come from this place, at least in my opinion, then you can start the conversation and then ask for consent about more personal questions if you have curiosity about this. But on a very basic level, it's more a question of a healthy curiosity that is in service of people more than a curiosity to get knowledge about something. I do want to point out that I am a white cisgender woman, so my advice might not be the best, but I truly believe that when we show up from a place of healthy curiosity to be in service, there is a better chance this discussion might go well. Choose your moment and feel mm -hmm. free to say no. Constant, yeah. the base yeah. of everything. Yeah, I really love that. And I mean, as we're rounding out the conversation here, I think it's great because you started with that and, and you kind of wrapped on that, which is amazing. <laughs> so before we hop off here, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Um, and can you also tell listeners where they can find you on social media or um, learn more about what you're doing in your work? 
But I always love to say the message that I give to everyone I encounter is that you're not broken. The game is twisted. There is nothing wrong with you. Whatever you may think there is, there isn't. I promise. (laughs) I love that. That's such a beautiful message. And that goes with regard to this topic and any other topic that you can think of if you're if you're feeling shame around who you are. (laughs) About me, if you liked my sense of humor, you can find it again in my own podcast. It's called Your Sexified Life because my mission is to help people's life being sexy (laughs) to get the thriving sex and fulfilling life they deserve. I am also a coach, so you can work one-on-one with me. There are some programs available on my website. I'm sure Nikki will have that um, yep. available in the show notes. If you want to say hi on Instagram, it's at with, with Dr. Fanny as well. And I guess that would be all. <laughs> Perfect. Well, yes, I'm very excited to share your information with our listeners, and I'm looking forward to listening to your podcast. Fanny, thank you so much for your time today. And gang, that's all for this episode of Who the Fuck. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour. Electric acid.